Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's going to be the first Shabbat of the year as far as reading the Torah cycle. I'm starting from Genesis, from Breshit. I figured um, we get a lot of Dvar uh, Torahs, Dvar Torah for Shabbat, and we hear all sorts of weekly ideas and different uh, denominations put out Parsha sheets and Parsha Dvar Torah. I'm going to try out, see if you guys like it. I'm going to try a weekly, besides for the regular podcast, maybe we should do a weekly uh, Dvar Torah from a Maimonidean perspective, okay? So sometimes it'll just be a quote from the guide or from somewhere in the Mishneh Torah. And there have been books put out there that basically take all of the writings of Maimonides and you have uh, you have Dvar Torah most of the Tanakh actually. But that's not necessarily what we're going to do. We're going to look at it at a deeper level and we're going to use Maimonidean ideas and understand different parts of the Torah um, using Maimonidean ideology. Okay? So it's not going to be necessarily a study of a Maimonidean text per se. And today we're going to discuss why man was created. Okay? This is like an ultimate philosophical question, why we exist. And the truth is that according to the Maimonidean philosophy, there's no answer to that. But not only is there no answer to that, but there's no... It's one of those questions in philosophy that are not answerable. Like, you're not allowed to ask, why would God create a monkey? Or why would God create a, a, you know, a seagull? Like... There is no way to answer that question. Kikach barach That was his wisdom. Why is that an impossible question to answer? Because in order to answer these questions, you would need to have broad knowledge of everything in existence for you to understand how certain smaller elements fit in the big picture and therefore is a waste of time. However, in this, the beginning of this week's parasha, this question is somewhat addressed and it's worth looking at from Maimonidean perspective, even though we know that there's no real answer. And he says this uh, explicitly in the guide, in the third book of the guide, that um, there is no way to explain why the universe exists or why any element in the universe exists. What we can search for is what our job in the universe is. And that's where we can focus our energy on. That being said, uh, let's uh, cut to the chase and see what happens in this week's Prasha. In this week's reading, the world is created, okay? There's a lot to be said about, and I'm not going to do a long podcast about every element of the parashah, because this can be a 50-part series and we wouldn't finish it. I'm going to zero in on the element of the creation of man, because there's a unique um, point here that the Torah mentions, and I argue that it's often skipped by commentators and by readers, even the astute readers, right? So, this is the beginning of the parasha. The first time humanity is mentioned, is introduced, is in the second chapter of Bereshit. Um, actually, it's in the first chapter of Bereshit. My apologies. And it's the 27th pasuk, the 727th verse, 26th verse. So, after God creates all of... Uh, all of... Um, the animals and the earth and so on... He then consults with someone, we don't know who, and he says, oh, let us make man. Now is a good time to make man. 
And why should we make man? We'll make him in our image. We'll see what that means. What does it mean? We don't have an image, but in our image. Similarity to similar to us. And then why are we making him? Even though it's a philosophically illegal question, if you hear the question is addressed. We're making man for one reason. Okay? And this is the only time in the Torah that the purpose of creating mankind is mentioned. So it's worth paying attention to what the biblical author thought is the reason to create mankind. And the reason, I'm going to read in Hebrew and translate, Urdu, he should dominate. Bidgatayam, a fish of the ocean. Ba'ofashamayim. Uh, that should read inside, I'm reading it by heart. Urdu bidgatayam, he should rule the, the, the fish in the ocean. Ba'ofashamayim, and the birds of the sky. Ubukol chaya haromeset ba'aretz. And all of... Uh, um, uh, all all animals that, that you know go on the uh, on the earth. So then he he creates man and he blesses them and he says uh, he tells them I want you to be fruitful multiply fill up the earth conquer it rule everything in sight okay rule nature. Now this is an extremely powerful statement um, regarding what God wants from us. So you would assume in a religious book, in any religious work, monotheist or not so, what was, does the deity want from his subjects? What does he want from us? You would think religion requires submission. It requires humility. It requires you to bend the knee before God and kind of, you know, be his servant. And even in, in many Jewish uh, philosophical texts that are more popular than Maimonides today, like, uh, like Mesilat Yesharim, you know, and others, Lutzato and other Kabbalists, if you ask them what the purpose of creating man is, they're going to tell you something like the purpose of creating man is so that he subjects himself to God and he, and he nullifies himself before the deity, and that gives God pleasure. It's nachat ruach liyotzro, and it's good for us. So he all sorts of arguments of religious arguments calling for submission, right? And not just Judaism, but I'm talking about Judaism because I'm not here to reform uh, any other religion. I want to talk about, and neither do I want to reform Judaism. But I want us to have a glimpse of what Judaism was before it was perverted, right? So on the most basic level. The biblical text is demanding of mankind to dominate nature in every way. To, to, and, and it comes in the context of having similarity to God. So what is godliness? Godliness, at least in the first chapter of Bereshit, is not someone who's ultra-religious. It's not someone who prays every day. It's not someone who is extremely meticulous about following the law. That's not what's being described. What's being described is a person who flies like a bird, who rules the animal kingdom, who rules the land itself, who can build a submarine. We're looking at the, the image of a, of a servant of God, or rather, or the person that God wants, right? The term servant has not yet been used, so I'm not going to use that, but being godly in this text is to be technological. And the man of Genesis is technological man. It's the man who uses his mind, 
because physically we can't dominate animals, right? We're one of the weakest ones and one of the least hardy ones. We don't survive well in the elements. We need air conditioning for the heat and heating for the cold. Our bodies have not evolved to be able to withstand what other inhabitants of this earth can. So the only way we dominate is through technology. And that is what God wants. And it's an important point because this sets the tone for everything else that happens in the Tanakh. It's not just um, for now, but everything that happens in Tanakh is a story of the mind, of progress of the intellect. This is the Maimonidean view, and this is um, also obvious in the text, even though it's often misinterpreted by mystics. So uh, I'll give you a few examples of how this theme goes on, right? If you notice, there's a few so-called bad guys in the Tanakh and in uh, biblical literature, you know, in the extra-biblical literature with Midrashim and and uh, and uh, other works. So you'll find like um, the Abraham Avinu, he's a shepherd, right? And you'll find that uh, his sons, he has two sons, a good one and a bad one. The good one, Isaac, right? So he's a shepherd too, but the bad one, Ishmael. He's a hunter. So the hunter is being set up as a model of not being good, right? Um, Isaac has two sons. He's on Jacob, Esau, and Yaakov. Yaakov is a good guy. Who's a bad guy? The hunter. So the hunter model is, is being is repeatedly Nimrod, right? Nimrod is a great hunter, but he's like so-called so a bad guy, right? The hunter uh, system is being replaced by the farmer, which is more progressive, which is more advanced, right? So the Torah is subtly pushing towards progress okay, as, as being desirable. So the technological man, the man that rules nature, if you can grow your own flock and live on a farm and you're more technologically advanced you're more dominant of nature than a hunter who exists within the natural world right so that's that, that's like and then this concept gets further um elucidated with yosef at sadiq right so his brothers are all doing the family business they're all shepherds and it's great and he has dreams and what is her what are his dreams the dreams are of wheat right He's obsessed with wheat. He dreams about wheat when he's in, in Canaan. And then when he gets to Egypt, the first thing he tells Paro in his meeting, we need to gather a lot of wheat and we'll store it. And this is how cities began, right? We'll be an empire. So the story is showing that it's not enough. It's not, we're not idolizing the shepherd, but we're talking about progress. The shepherd is an example for progress. So this is a theme, a consistent theme in all of Genesis. And in a deep way, it's a important fundamental theme in all of the Kula and everything else that we're going to see in, uh, in the rest of the text. So uh, that's something you want to pay attention to. Okay. Um, now, one might ask, like, and I get this a lot, is like, well, you just described the, a person that doesn't seem very religious, right? It's someone who's scientific, he's dominant, right? powerfully controlling nature. So how does that tie in with the piety and the monotheism of the Torah that Maimonides also promotes, right? In my previous three podcasts, I kept talking about monotheism. How does this connect with monotheism? And the truth is that it connects with monotheism in a very, very deep way. And, and it's actually dependent on monotheism and vice versa, okay? And that's because 
if you if you remember in the in the first I think it was the first module um, of why you know why be my money in the first place or the second one we discussed how um, religion is not something that can be necessarily rationally argued about as an as a concept it's it's a given people have evolved to be religious for whatever reasons this podcast isn't going to solve that problem but people have evolved to either have formal religions or even when their formal religion is kind of taken away from them they're going to act in religious ways with secular ideologies and we've demonstrated this is true all over the world and therefore if you and my mind is very much in that view that it's just how it is you know and therefore engineering a religious system that's beneficial to society is more important than trying to argue uh, empirically which is the best one right and the concept of monotheism is an idea of rejecting all other gods it's rejecting all paganism it's not an inclusive idea it's not pluralistic you know it's not pantheon it's not pantheistic it's monotheistic so to be a monotheist one must be mentally very free because that's someone who would be skeptical about everything else that's not god so and, and, and this obsession with monotheism in the Tanakh and following his laws and not having idolatry is essentially, in the rabbinic mind, that's an, a, an obsession with denying all, um, all sorts of paganism or superstition, which they saw as the same thing. And therefore, that's exactly the model of this like co-regent of God as Naser Adam Salmenu in his image who's ruling the planet together with God so to speak right that's the holiness of the biblical man in Genesis okay and that's stressed before we stress all of the what we consider the functionally you know standard religious practice because because the truth is the 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 idea of submission to God in the Torah it sounds submissive, but it's ironically the opposite because it's by submitting to God, you're free of everything else. So, Talmud even says this explicitly when they say, someone who, who like accepts idolatry and you know, admits to it, is kofer bekola Torah kula. He's rejected the whole Torah. And in another place, the Talmud mentions someone who. Um, uh, admits in Avadazara, he admits in one superstitious, one pagan thing, it's as if he rejected the whole Torah. So all of that is in order to bring us to a place where we reject paganism, reject idolatry, reject superstition. And that's the mindset that holds you back, right? So this is a very important element, it's a good thing to discuss on your Shabbat table. Um, it's a good thing to think about because this will also be the f- foundational principle of everything else that we're going to see in the Tanakh. And if you understand this, everything else you read is going to fall into line. Right? It's actually very fundamental in my Hanadian thinking, and that's why I chose this element out of literally hundreds of different things you can talk about on Sefer Bereshit, the first parasha in the Torah. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.